Thank you, Nick. Good evening, everyone. It's so good to be here. So many friendly faces and Glenridge people, some City Hill people, Insights, and other churches probably that I don't know too. So welcome. I'm so I'm so privileged. I've said to um, Stan and Heather, I feel just exceedingly abundantly so grateful for the opportunity and to the leadership here to be able to share for these next four weeks on the topic of prayer and intercession. Before we dive into the notes, I just wanted to get a general sense um, from the people in this room here of where we are on this topic. So if can you, and, and there's no judgment here, hey, we can be free. I just want to ask you a question just to divide up the room so we can just, so I can see where to kind of um, position some of the things that we're going to be talking about. But who would say they have um, struggled in prayer? That's, prayer is a bit of a, yeah, it's a labor. You white knuckle through it sometimes. You feel like maybe there's a glass ceiling. It's really honest. It's really helpful. Um, who of you feels like um, they've had some real big wins through prayer? You've broken down some doors. You've seen the power of prayer at work. That is wonderful. That's amazing. And who would consider themselves, in terms of your ministry, an intercessor? Like you believe that you get up each day and you hold that title and that's your calling. Wonderful. Okay. So that's really helpful, guys. Thank you. Why do we need to pray? Okay, we'll just dive straight in. I'm going to, I won't, I mean, I don't, Nick's introduced me, and I will share a fair amount of my own testimony, so you'll get to know me quite a bit throughout this course, but let's dive into the notes. Why do we need to pray? I think I'm probably preaching to the choir on these two points. I've heard it said so much at Glenridge Church, and you guys hold this dear, but he, God wants a co-laboring partnership. Amen. We, we, know, we, we know that. I mean, he is, he is a relational God. When you think of the Trinity, they are in perfect relationship with each other, with different roles. Um, if you think of the institution of marriage, if you think of the church as a body of believers, if you think of how Jesus, the bridegroom and the bride, is spoken about in the Bible, we know that God is an inherently relational God. And so everything he does... The Trinity work in perfect partnership with each other to create things, to establish things on the earth, and us and the Lord are no different. He can fully do things on his own. He doesn't need us, but he chooses and desires to partner with us. Okay, so as we mature also in the kingdom in terms of this co-laboring partnership, we realize that it is crucial to our maturity and our acceleration to where God wants to get us to, that, that, that our walk with him becomes a partnership. Okay? There were some things that we needed to be done for us when we were a child, and those things don't need to be done for us anymore when we, when we become a teenager. And when we are an adult, there's things that when we're a child and a teenager, we just don't do anymore. So the kingdom mindset, we, as we start to walk with the Lord, we realize that there are certain things that more things now he wants to do through us than he wants to do for us. Okay, there are things that he wants to do through us, and prayer and intercession is often the vehicle for that. Secondly, he is in charge, but he is not controlling every detail. He is over it and sovereign. He is aware of it. He is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's um, omnipotent. But there is free will that we have. And our free will can often stand opposed to God's preferred will upon the earth. If he does all he wants to do, if, when, um, if he does all that he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he'd like to do it, he would have never inserted into the Lord's prayer, your kingdom, for us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We just wouldn't have to pray that. If he, wa if he wanted to do everything he wanted to do, when he wanted to do it, how he wanted to do it. But he taught his disciples, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth. Bring your will to pass on the earth. We need to pray that. 
Peter 3, uh, sorry, 2 Peter 3 verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So this is his will. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to know him, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. But do people die without knowing Jesus? Are some people going to go to hell? They are. So his, his preferred will and his desire is that no one perishes. And he's made a way for everyone to spend eternity with him. But the reality is that his preferred will doesn't always get done on the earth. And then prayer and intercession is a way of bringing and establishing his preferred will upon the earth. Does that make sense? Okay. Cindy Jacobs, um, many of us might know her here. She's an incredible uh, prophet, a prophetic intercessor. And she says in, in one of her, 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 her books here, The soldier of the cross had taught his disciples the need to pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in, in heaven. The obvious implication is that God has limited certain um, of his activities. I'll say that again. God has limited certain of his activities to responding to the prayers of his people. Unless they pray, he will not act. Heaven may will something to happen, but heaven waits and in encourages earth's initiative to desire that will and then to pray that it happens. The will of God is not done on earth by unstoppable juggernaut omnipotence out there overriding or ig ignoring the will of people on earth. On the contrary, God has willed that his hand be held back while he seeks for a person, an intercessor, to plead, thy will be done on earth in this or that specific situation. It's a long quote, but it is loaded. It is profound. Mark Patterson, um, in one of his books, he also says, God has limited certain expressions of his power to be released only in response to his people's prayer. God has limited certain expressions of his power to be released only through the prayers of his people. So in other words, heaven waits for you to pray. Heaven waits for us to pray. Certain things God wants to see happen on this earth, and we are, Jesus is coming back very, very soon, and there are things, there are people to save, there are nations to go to, there are harvest fields to un unlock. And so I really believe in this hour for the, the church needs to become in the fullest measure the house of prayer that Jesus died for it to actually uh, be become. So types of prayers, does, does that make sense why we need to pray? I mean, that's not doing the topic justice at all, but just for laying a platform for it. There are types of prayers, and I want to read a scripture to you. We'll go into two types of prayers this evening. The third one, intercession, we'll look at the Greek word for that. I think in week three, we're going to get to what actually intercession is, because it is different from, from prayer. Did we know that? One person knew that's wonderful. I'm sure a lot more knew it. Okay, types of prayers. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 says, I urge then that petitions or supplications, depending on which tr translation you're reading from, petitions, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So the first one you see when he says um, prayer or petitions and supplications, that is the Greek word deesis. I might be saying that wrong, deesis, okay. And that is a, um, a, a need, an entreaty, a heartfelt petition that comes from a situation of lack or need in my life or someone else's life. That word deo is the Greek word, it means to be, um, needs to be. In want or lack. Okay. So it's, it's a request that goes up to the Lord from my deficiency, from my weakness, from my situation in which I don't have what it takes, whatever it is. The financial resources, the uh, 
capacity, the I don't have what it needs, what this situation is requiring of me, and I am asking the Lord for it. I'm entreating him for it. It's the same word actually for um, Peter's prayer. When, when, when Jesus says to Peter, come, walk on the water, and Peter starts to walk, and he looks at the wind and the waves, and he starts to sink, and he says, Lord, save me. That's a deus' prayer. Okay, didn't um, spend too much time thinking, what is the will of the Lord in this situation or things like that. It was just, save me, pick me up, don't let me sink. And we've all prayed prayers like this. I pray plenty of them. It's a reflex response in a situation or to a car that's, you know, cutting across the road or something like, like that. And those are, those are beautiful prayers. God hears them. They are recorded in the Bible. They are important. The second one there for prayers, it's this um, Greek word, pro eukomehi. I know that eukomehi is right. I double-checked it. It might sound funny, but that's the way that, that, that you say it. So this is the Greek word that is most often used in prayer. It's made up of two words. The first um, is pros, which means towards an exchange. And the second word, eukomehi, means to wish or to pray. It means the request or the ask that's being made. So when you put those two Greek words um, to, together in, this, in the same word, it means to move towards an exchange of wishes. Okay, so it, it literally means to, to interact and dialogue with the Lord by switching my human desires and wishes and exchange that for His will and His plan. So it's, it's loaded in this understanding of prayer is a conversation, and it is a bi-directional dialogue that occurs between me and God. We said there can be the deus prayer. There can be the just going up from a place of need and lack. But the, but, the pr the, the, but the Greek word that is most often used in the New Testament is prosukomahi, a prayer conversation with the Lord. What's interesting about this is that the word yukomahi, without the pro, that word for prayer, yukomahi, is also used in different places in the New Testament for prayer. But where it's used without the exchange word, without the dialogue word, that pro is the exchange word. When it's used and it's just yukomahi, there is no guarantee that it is a God-birthed wish that it is a spirit-led request that we are making of God. It's just a prayer that is coming from this heart and this mouth up to the Lord. But it has not actually, um, it has not actually come or been produced in a prayer conversation where I've spoken to the Lord and He's spoken back. Okay, the heart, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. <laughs> Never follow your heart, hey. <laughs> so we, we, we can't trust ourselves too much when we pray. We have to really, you know, humble ourselves in this person and say, sometimes we actually don't know what to pray. And we'll look at examples this year where our, where our read of the situation, where what we are praying for might be from the flesh, might be completely selfish, might actually be not God's preferred will. But we need to get to the refinement or like the sanctification of what I'm actually asking the Lord. We need to, our need needs to come into agreement with His will. The only way that's going to happen is when we have a prayer conversation, a prosukomahi, where it's a bi-directional, I'm going to ask for this. And then what can sometimes happen is God could give us a scripture in that time that is relevant to what I'm asking and think. I'm thinking on that scripture now, and I feel like my need is being refined. And then I might ask him again, and he might come back and say, often what he says to me is, what's the motivation for you asking me for that? Hmm, okay, Lord. I'm going to refine that ask a bit more. And slowly by slowly, scripture by scripture, wisdom, wise counsel comes back from him, or I start to see it from his perspective and not mine, and my Desire and ask is coming into agreement with his will. And it's a prosukomahi prayer conversation. So important. 
So I want to, um, there's a, a beautiful example of a prayer dialogue, a prohukomahi in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 10. I'll read it for us. We talk about Porn's thorn in his flesh. Do we know that story? Do have, have some of us heard of it before? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 10. Paul's understanding of his thorn. And he's just finished talking about, you know, I, I know this man that was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know. God knows. And he, he's talking about himself, actually, in a very humble third-person way, that he had been in the throne room. Um, he had heard things. He had seen things. Um, some of which he wasn't actually, he got it, don't say anything about it. And, and then he goes on in, in, in verse 10, uh, verse 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And then he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." I've actually looked up this thing of, you know, there's a lot of people say, what is the thorn in Paul's flesh? What, what was it? Some say it was, you know, a problem with his eyesight. Some say it was like a physical disability. A messenger of Satan there literally means, in the, the Greek, a messenger of Satan. It was something given to him from Satan. And he goes to the Lord in this prayer conversation. He says, three times I pleaded with God to take it away. It's like, I can, I mean, I just love to insert myself into, the, into these stories. And I think if I was Paul, I'd probably say, but you've told me to go to the Gentiles. I'm doing such amazing work for you. You know, I'm being so effective in your kingdom. God, people are being saved. This thing is just a nuisance. Take it away. It's an irritation. I could be so much more productive for you if this thing wasn't here. And then it said three times he had this request this deusis probably just going up to god just throwing it up and then suddenly god started to speak back to him and in verse 7 obviously this is something now in a prayer conversation god started to speak to him about the purpose of this thorn and why it was given to him and he says um verse 7 he realizes it was for the purpose of protecting him from becoming prideful in verse 9, Paul's, Paul understands that this thorn actually can provide an opportunity for a great display of God's power. He realizes that actually his evident inability is going to highlight God's ability. And then after this um, prayer conversation, he actually changes the perspective of his affliction completely and in verse 9, he says, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness so the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's incredible. But you can see how he went from pleading. That's his starting point. Pleading, just take it away. I don't need it. To this higher level, superior God perspective of this thing's going to save me from becoming prideful. This is going to highlight and emphasize God's power to the world. The power of Christ is going to rest upon me in even greater degree because of my inability here. It's so good, guys. It is so good. We need to be in those prayer conversations too, asking God to take our understanding of what we see in the, in the first heaven here up to His level, that our prayers come into agreement with what His will is. Some trials are not meant to be prayed away. We realize that. Some mountains are not meant to be moved. We're just meant to develop the spiritual maturity to get up there and get over it. I wanted to just share, you know, I, I remember in my early 20s, I grew up in a very traditional church. 
And so um, the spiritual gifts, when I got to a charismatic, like, spirit-filled church, I couldn't believe there was a thing called spiritual gifts, and tongues was just, yo, like another level. And then we could ask God for stuff. I was like, anyone can just ask him. I couldn't believe it. I was like, you know? And so I thought, okay, well, you know, I'd walk with the Lord for a little bit there, and I was, I was at, um, at this church, and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to give this thing a go. I'm just gonna, uh, there's a particular gift I would like. And I'm going to ask him for it. And I was in my early 20s, so it's like, mm, you know, how do you do this thing? I'm just going to send it upwards, ask him for it. And I asked him for this gift. I asked him a few times. And then I felt him say, what are you doing with the gifts that I've given you? I was like, oh, okay. Very conversation here. But it was, it was incredible to actually hear God say, and I thought about that, and I was like, actually... That's absolutely right. I realize that there's a law for more in the kingdom. The law for more is look after what you have. Be faithful with what you have. This wasn't, he's telling me here, what are you doing with my gifts? What are you, giving with, with, what are you doing with what I've already given you? It's not like a father trying to disqualify me for asking and saying, no, 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 don't you come to me and ask me. Like, he's actually trying to qualify me for the gift. He's saying, I'd love to give it to you, my girl, but there's this spiritual law, there's this principle that I have in my word, and it's called faithfulness, and you need to show yourself faithful what I've given you so I can give you that. That was all uncovered in this prayer conversation. And so it refined my prayers and it refined my action. I remember um, when I found out the day I found out that I was having twins, actually, another prayer conversation I had with God. I'm just sharing, you know, the voice of God is so good. It's like an adventure to speak to Him. It really is. I love it. And I remember, you know, it was my second pregnancy, and it was our first scan. I was like eight weeks along, and I went to the gynae, and I was just to let you know a bit about me, like I'm a very, very I'd like to label myself as type A, but all the characteristics that go with that label, I've got. <laughs> and I'm very, so when I was like, you know, my second pregnancy in Asia was um, like, how old was he? My maths here, about two. So I had planned how I was going to do baby number two in ministry. We had like elders meetings in the week. We had Sunday night church. I was like, da, 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 this is how I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap them. I'm going to take the camp cot out. I was like on page 88 of baby number two and how we were going to integrate baby into the kingdom and our lives and all of that. And um, I was at the scan and um, oh, my husband, he says, <laughs> he makes a joke in our scan and he says, uh, just before she's about to put the probe on my belly, and he says, ah, oh, imagine if there are two in there. <laughs> and then literally the next second she put it on, she said, there are, and he says, what? <laughs> and in that moment I was like, you know, I was like, what did you do? <laughs> like, like, it was just a crazy moment. Um, but I remember holding it together and I got to the car and just the shock, just the Complete shock of it, okay, because my training manual was on page 88 of being written already, and, um, and, I, and I burst into tears, and I said, God, what is going on here? Like, Lord, like, what are you doing? And he was so kind. In that moment, he actually answered me, like, a moment later, and he, and he said to me, you have planned such a manageable, containable life for yourself, and that is not what I have for you. Ah, and then... So I was like, thank you, Lord, okay. Just tear up the training manual. <laughs> and then he said to me, you know, he actually brought back a preach that I had listened to a few weeks before that was a, a pastor. He was talking about um, the fig tree that Jesus cursed. Why did Jesus curse the fig tree? Well, you know, he wants to find fruit on us out of season. In seasons of impossibility where we might look like we can't bring forth fruit, he wants to find fruit in our lives. And I walked away from that preaching. I was like, yes, God, I want to I bring forth fruit in impossible seasons, in impossible situations. And I'm sitting in the car, like, crying these big, ugly tears. And he actually says to me, remember the fig tree. He says, this is your out of season. And I'm going to show you how to bring forth fruit. And I was like, no, Lord, you set me up. You know, two weeks ago you knew this. But this was, it was such a beautiful prayer conversation with him because after that, 
I caught something of what his will was. I caught something of his perspective, and it changed the way that I prayed. It changed my next interaction. It changed my understanding of, of you know, how to pray for grace. How to, it just completely shaped my whole pregnancy and how I would pray, bringing forth fruit in a season of impossibility. And I pray the same for us all, that he'd take those moments we're in tears and we don't understand and we're confused and we are perplexed. And he would just, in a moment, bring something into focus for you. It's exquisite. So number three, sorry, what are the ingredients for effective prayer? That was like a short introduction of types of prayers. We'll get to what intercession is in the third week. But I wanted to talk about some principles of prayer for this week. And I might, um, I know praying with faith will do the next, um, in week two, we'll start that. Week two, we're going to look at how to pray for the sick, how to pray for healing. We're going to look at the connection between um, body and soul and some sicknesses that can come from that. And, and, and how do we actually pray for the sick? Okay. So we'll, we'll do that and praying with faith next week. But um, I wanted to kind of just take some of the key ingredients that I've found and I've also read and been mentored by people so many more years in the kingdom and intercession and try to distill it to some key principles or key ingredients for effective prayer. Again, I feel like I might be saying things that are already in your head, but it's good to go over the basics. Praying from the third heaven. So you won't find a mention of the third heaven in the Bible. It, is, we, it would be the, thr the throne room. It would be God's, where God is on the throne. Okay, some people call the first heaven, this first heaven is what we can see, feel, taste, touch with our physical senses. Second heaven is where the demonic is. You get your demonic spirits and what they're trying to establish and tear down and all, all of that. And then the third heaven, where the throne room is. So praying from the third heaven, I could, I could preach all day about this because I think if you had to grasp just one key principle of prayer, this would be it. And it would, you would become like sharp, sharp in prayer. And um, so Ephesians 2 verse 6 says that we are seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. Amen? Like that's present tense. We are seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. So we actually are bi-dimensional human beings. We live on the earth, but we are seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places too. Which means, you know, we have the mind of Christ as well. Paul tells us that. So, so the mind of Christ is not like a beanie you put on and you never take off and we just think Jesus' thoughts all the time. We have access to the thoughts of Jesus. We have access to his wisdom, intelligence, and that. But it is ours to harness and to pull down. We can know God's will. Romans 12 verse 1 to 2 says, Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Okay, that's from the True Passion Translation. Sounds a bit different, but I wanted to read it in a different way to get us thinking about that scripture. It's talking about the renewal of the mind. And other translations say, um, you know, when your mind is renewed, you can test and approve of what God's will is. Like, you can authenticate it. You can, you can tell what his true will is and what the enemy's counterfeit is when your mind is renewed with the truth. So we, we can know, and I know many of us know this, but I want to like inspire others that maybe are a bit doubtful of this with confidence that you can know God's will in situations. That, yeah, there's an element, there's mystery. There's definitely mystery in the kingdom. But you can come close to knowing his will in situation, and he wants you to have that. If you look at the story of Martha and Mary in Luke 10. This is a great example um, of what we talk about. And in, 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 in if we, the danger when we don't pray from the third heaven and access the mind of Christ or the God perspective seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places where we're looking at things in the first heaven 
there's a, there's a danger to that when we pray. And if you look at the story of Mary and Martha, um, it says here, okay, we all know the introduction. Let me just get right into the story. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which, we, which will not be taken away from her. So he realizes that, that Martha was distracted. What was she distracted with? And who was she serving? She was distracted with the work of the Lord. <laughs> we, our ministry can sometimes distract us from the Lord. It can, where we want to worship, you know, the work of the Lord and not the Lord of the work. So she was distracted and she was anxious and she was troubled. And this is the thing. When you start getting anxiety or you feel perturbed, anxious, troubled, and distracted, and you start praying for key issues, she asked Jesus something. What do we call when we speak to Jesus? Prayer. She, asked, so she prayed. She spoke to Jesus about something. What she asked him, she actually said, you know, will you come and tell my sister just to help me, please? Like her prayer was completely off. What she asked Jesus was completely out of his will for her in that situation. She actually said, Mary's got it. She's chosen the good portion. That was Jesus' will in the situation. But Martha was distracted. She was busy with work, ministry, serving Jesus. She was anxious and she was troubled. And she, her fear misread, she misread the situation completely. So that's what can happen when we don't pray from the third and from seated with Christ Jesus with that God perspective is our prayers can completely miss the mark of what Jesus' will is in that situation. We realize um, Matthew 16 verse 23 is another great one where Jesus um, you know, was telling the disciples that he'll soon be crucified, he was going to leave them. And Peter turns around in Matthew 16, verse 23, and he says, um, sorry, Peter just said, no, far be it from me. No, that's not going to happen. No one's going to take you away from us. And Jesus turns to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. You realize that was the big thing for Jesus. You, Peter, you're seeing this from a human point of view. You're seeing this from a first heaven. And you know what? It's a dangerous trap for us when we start to see things from a human point of view in prayer. This, this principle of praying from the third heaven, of, of, of asking the Lord, Lord, show me this from your perspective. Help me to know what your will in th is in this situation is actually going to protect us from praying out of a seat of fear and panic. And friends, I don't know if you've realized, but you can smell fear and um, prayers that are fear-based. Like you can just tell them straight away where we've just been too, it's too much of a quick reflex and we quickly deus and praying and it's just smothered in fear and, and we've just been distracted and all focused from what Jesus' will is in that situation. Um, I remember, yo, my time is going here. I, can, I told you I could preach the whole time on just this one, but I'll t one quick story. You know, I was, um, I love my kids to bits, and, but I was, Gab was traveling um, last year for about six, six weeks, and uh, yeah, so three kids, eight and under, it's like a joy, but it's chaotic, and um, I was struggling with one of my children. I just, I, we were just missing each other. Every conversation was, there was too much tension, too much frustration. Uh, my patience was wearing thin, and, and I just wasn't filled with the love of God <laughs> all the time for this one. Um, and I can actually remember, it, it actually really perturbed me that I was, I was feeling like this. And I actually said, you know what, Lord, like, uh, this, this feeling can't live in me, and I've, I'm losing sight of how you see him. And so I actually fasted. It was uh, that bad. I, I, I fasted. I went on a three-day fast. And my prayer was, Lord, show me him from your perspective. I need to know how to pray for his life. I need to know how to interact with him as you see him and not through the behavior that I'm seeing. I need to pray from the third heaven about him. And I had a three-day fast. And, and the Lord was so kind. You know, 
He honors hunger. He responds to hunger, physic, like physical hunger, spiritual hunger for him. And he actually answered me on, on day three, and he gave me a dream about his life, about his calling. And it totally overwhelmed me, actually, the way that God saw him and what, he, he, what he was, God was bringing him to his destiny and wanting him to become. And I woke up humbled. And, and I'll tell you what, I, I, could, I was now looking at him, not through his current behavior, but his future behavior and the prophetic identity that God has for him. And it changed not only my interactions with him, but the way I was praying for him now. I was not worried or distracted or anxious and those things Martha was. I was now confident in that he was in the Lord's hand, bold and courageous. And I knew, you know, there's some things about him that actually God needs in his kingdom. I was looking like, hmm, we need to take those things out of you. Actually, that God needs that bluntness, that sharpness. Okay, one more before we pray. This will be a quick one. Kingly and priestly intercession. Okay, Hebrews 7 verse 1. Uh, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So we know Melchizedek was a king, the king of Salem, and he was a priest. And Jesus was a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus was both priest and king. And the Bible refers to us as a royal priesthood, both kings and priests. So when we pray, we have to use these elements of kingly intercession, okay, and these elements of priestly intercession. And I want to really encourage you guys to look at the way that you're praying and to try and use both. And we'll, we'll discuss what some of those are priestly intercession, when I come before the Lord as a priest, if you can imagine the, the priests in the Old Testament, they represented the needs of the people to God. Okay, It was cries for mercy. It was entreating the Lord for favor, for deliverance, for protection. The priest stood on the sides of the people. Lord, look at us and what our need is. It's priestly intercession. It's Jesus' roles and activities as Savior, Advocate, High Priest. We see prayers like this when Jesus was on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Okay. Wanting to access something that's in heaven, something that's, that God has for the people here. Hebrews 5 verse 7, um, it says, During the days of Jesus' life, he offered up prayers and petitions, so supplications, with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. But that word for, you know, he offered up um, prayers and petitions or supplications, that's actually the word for, that word supplication in the Greek is the word for holding an olive branch. Holding an olive branch was a token of wanting peace, of wanting to make peace with whoever your opponent was, whoever your adversary was. And it says here that Jesus stood on the side of the people, having been with God, with Father God, in the Trinity, in heaven, came to earth, and now he's looked around at the depravity and the wickedness and the vileness and how far we are away from the Lord. And he's standing on, on, on the side of the people, and he's holding up an olive branch, and he's waving to his father, and he is entreating his father's mercy for humankind. It's incredible. Um, I came across this amazing quote, and I don't know who wrote it, but it's in there. It says, Jesus holding up an olive branch to his father for us underlines his unfathomable humility in identifying with our greatest need. So when we identify, like say we're praying for our children, say we're praying for our partners, say we're praying for our schools, our work colleagues, when you're identifying with their greatest need and bringing that need before the Lord, that's priestly intercession. So kings and kingly intercession. Priestly intercession ministers upwards. Kingly intercession ministers downwards. Kingly intercession is about establishing the rule of God upon the earth, the governance of God, the power and authority of God 
in situations upon the earth. It's when we, um, for instance, we, we, when we are accessing through the mind of Christ, seated with Jesus in heavenly places, and we come to know the will of God, the plan of God for that person's life or for our community or our city, and we start to prophesy that, and we start to decree it, and we start to, you know, worship, well, not worship, but, but we, we, we give thanks for that. That is establishing his will on earth. That is kingly intercession. It's Jesus' roles and activities whereby he releases the rule and authority of God from heaven to earth, raising the dead, casting out demons, healing the sick, establishing the government of heaven upon the earth. It's utilizing the keys of the kingdom to bind and to loose, to prohibit and to release. Okay, to declare and to prophesy about the Lord's will. Lastly, on this, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. So that's worship. That's priestly intercession. That's coming from humankind upwards. Father, hallowed be your name. Then it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. That is kingly intercession. That tense in the Greek is the imperative tense that is a command tense in the Greek. We say, your kingdom come, your will be done. But actually, it's written, kingdom of Jesus, come. Will of Jesus, be done. Okay, it's kingly intercession. Then it goes, give us this day our daily bread. Priestly intercession again. And I really want to encourage you over the next week, over the next weeks, but maybe now because it's fresh in your mind, scrutinize your prayers. Just have a look at them. You know, Re reflect on how you're praying. Think about which one am I most comfortable in? And let's try and practice the other one a bit more. Okay. Amen. Let's take a break and then we'll try to get through the next two principles. Okay, for 10 minutes or so. Okay. We've got two more prayer principles, two more ingredients for prayer, for effective prayer. All right, we're going to do praying in agreement and praying with reverence and awe. Okay. Are we awake still? Cool. All right. If you aren't, you need a biscuit Nick was handing out. <laughs> Dose yourself with a bit of sugar quick. All right, praying in agreement. Um, this excites me so much. And I think just in my observation, not in this church, but in the prayer meetings, prayer groups, different forums I've been in, I feel like, like we understand this in principle, the prayer of, uh, principle of agreement, but I feel like we still don't hold it high enough, okay, and charge after it fiercely enough. Matthew 18 verse 9, it says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So we know that God is all about partnership, and prayer is a partnership with us and the Lord to establish His will on the earth. But there's this promise and this principle that relates to a partnership between believers also in prayer, the principle of agreement. And there is a, a specific promise He gives here that if two or more agree on something on the earth, it will be done for them in heaven. Means that we, so it means that really our prayers multiply power. Okay, Our prayers have more spiritual weight and effectiveness when I'm united with another believer or more and we're asking the same thing. We are of one heart, one mind, one voice. We are of one accord when we ask something. And this should really, really excite us because this it does then if you're a leader leading the prayer or you're just someone who doesn't like the microphone, those of us who don't like the microphone that much, you like, you know, I can go to prayer meeting, I can go to not, but they won't miss me if I'm not there. Actually, when you read this principle of agreement, your yes and amen carries spiritual weight. Even if you never pick up the microphone, even if no one ever Here's the prayer that's in your heart. If you are agreeing, 
yes and amen, heart and mind, with someone else's prayer, it's in the will of the Lord, it is adding spiritual weight before heaven. That is very exciting. It is. It really, really is. So there's no excuse for you never to attend prayer meeting. Never excuse for you. Heaven is going to miss you. They really are. Okay. The Greek word for agreement in that scripture is um, translated as the word to harmonize. It's a beautiful, beautiful way of thinking about it when we pray because I mean, I'm not a musical person, but I know when you harmonize, the voices come together. No one sticks out from the other one too much. There's a, just a beautiful harmony and agreement. It almost becomes indistinguishable, the voices. You know, there's a oneness to it. It's like, it actually reminds me in Revelation. I just thought about this earlier. It's like when, when the spirit and the bride say, come. It's like the spirit obviously says come, but it's the bride in full agreement just says come. One heart, one mind. Leaders, I mean, in terms of um, praying in agreement here, I, the practical outworking of this is sometimes we can't jump into praying for a topic without spending just a little bit of time maybe sharing what your perspective, what your God perspective is that you've got. What are the scriptures the Lord has put on? If you're leading a life group, if you're just praying in a group and there's a, there's a burning issue, you need to bring people into agreement on it. You know, we've all probably been in prayer meetings where everyone's praying about a topic and someone will come out left field with some crazy way of seeing the situation and you think what on earth like just you know deafen our ears but actually they might have caught something from the lord they might have got something from the throne room in a prayer conversation and we need to say hey tell me why you prayed it tell me why you're seeing that from that perspective you know, we need to do that more because, and what it is, friends, it might, you know, it doesn't matter, but you're saying that I understand the prayer of agreement. I understand the principle of unity and the promise of the multiplication of power. If I can just understand where you're coming from, then we can agree together on it. And so also this prayer of agreement, it's, it's we can't agree in prayer with one voice if we're just kind of in prayer meeting waiting for our turn, microphones going around. I've, you know, someone said I need to pray for the preacher and other people are praying, and I'm just waiting for my turn. And I'm like, got these one brain cell prayers. You know, my one eye open, my one ear open. It has to be heart and mind agreement. I'm hungering for the same thing that the person next to me is petitioning for. Okay. If you look at the Tower of Babel, I mean, the Tower of Babel illustrates the power of agreement, but obviously the negative version of it. But Genesis 11, verse 6, God says they are one, or other translations say they are a united people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. It's like God looks down, and he sees they are one, they are united, and they are of one language. They're speaking the same language. They're giving the same instruction. They understand the same purpose. They understand what they're all going for here, what they're all aiming for here. And he says, when you find humankind in that mode, nothing will be impossible for them to accomplish. So if that was building a name for themselves outside of the Lord's will, without the supernatural support from heaven, imagine exactly if this was his people on earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit, with God perspective, who are one, united, and in speaking the same language. We all know the scripture that's been placed on Jill's heart to decree. And we are coming into the slipstream and supporting her. You know, friends, nothing will be impossible. We could lift so much more if we understood and really activated this principle of agreement here. So you might be the one, I get the picture, you know, when I think about this, of you might be the one, like a rugby players in a line-out, that's going to be lifted up to catch the ball. 
You might be the one actually giving the decree. But a lot of us are just going to be the one that's lifting the other guy up by his shorts. You know, and that's important. Coming in behind with all of our weight in all every fiber of my God-given will, I want this to happen. Amen. There are no passive observers in prayer meetings. Please, I, if I'm in a prayer meeting, I will not keep quiet. Even if someone else is praying the whole time, I will literally, because I'm activating my will, like to keep myself on point with what people are saying, I'm, I'm always, yes. Yes, Lord, do it. Lord, I'm in agreement with that. Amen, Lord. Let it be. Like I don't keep quiet because I, I, I feel like I understand this principle and I want to see it happen. So let's charge at that. Lastly, praying with reverence and awe. Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Oh my goodness, this is Jesus. So that Greek word for heard means to be deeply heard. He was listened to intently. That's what it actually is translated. He was listened to intently by his father. Why? Because he offered up prayers and petitions with reverent submission. And that Greek word, that, that is translated as godly respect, holy caution, and godly fear. So if Jesus, God's son, who's forever having been present with his father in heaven, comes down to earth on mission and assignment to reconcile the world back to, and when he speaks to his father, who he's very, very f familiar with, and he asks things with reverent submission, how much more ought we? And I think we can be quite glib sometimes. We, we, we can, I'm so guilty often of like, you know, grace. And before we leave on a long trip, and I've got these like prayers I can say when I'm asleep. One brain cell prayers. And friends, I really think we actually need to stop those. <laughs> just stop it sometimes. Just, just actually just zip your lip in the middle of the prayer, I think. Because it's such religion, to be honest. It's such just... I'm in the mode, and I know what I'm going to say, and I can say it when I'm half asleep. And I don't think it honors God in the way that he deserves to be honored with that sort of thing. Like if the Queen of England had to walk into the room, or our president, or someone like that, I mean, we would be ship-sharp awake, and we would formally address them, and all of that. So I, I, I really think for me when I was prepping, that was again, it was such a wake up. The reverence and or the godly fear, the holy caution. Consider this as we pray. Consider as, as you're about to open up your mouth before the Lord. Someone had to die to open up this channel of communication. Like there is a price tag attached to what I'm about to do. And it was paid in someone's blood. Oh my goodness. No, no one brain cell prays. Just engage with that just before you pray. My goodness me. This is probably the most costly activity, talking to the Lord, that I'm ever going to engage in. I, I, I had a friend out from this, the States a couple of weeks ago, and we, we, we went and we caught up and we had dinner together. It was a lovely, we had a two-hour conversation. We sat down, we had a good food, and the bill came. And, um, you know, it was a couple hundred rand. But imagine if that bill came and it had paid with so-and-so's blood. Hey? Would I ever be able to eat like that again? <laughs> Something to think about. You know, the items in the tabernacle and the temple, it says in Hebrews, they were copies of the heavenly things. They were copies, the items of the, in the tabernacle, the temple, all of which you can read, you know, Leviticus, Exodus, they were copies of the heavenly throne room. And one of those items in the holy place, there was the outer courts, there was the holy place, and there was the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. If you looked at the holy place, one of the, one of the, um, the articles there, one of the things there was the altar of incense. 
And the altar of incense, you know, there was a specific recipe for the incense that had to be burned before the Lord. There was incense that was to be burned before the Lord morning and evening. And the fire to burn the incense had to be taken from the altar, the bronze altar, in the outer court. They took the fire, they brought it in, um, they lit the incense. Specific recipe, never mixed with the recipe of the Holy Spirit. And it was, the incense went up before the Lord. And Revelations also talks about the 24 elders in the throne room that hold the golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So it's prayer, it's worship, it's intercession. That's what the incense um, on the altar of incense represents. But what also happened on that altar of incense was that altar had to be atoned for once a year. They had to slaughter an animal, and they had to put the blood on the horns of the altar. There were four horns that came out on the sides of the altar. They had to put the blood on the altar. They had to consecrate the altar so that the incense would be pure going up. Interestingly, every sin offering that was offered in the tabernacle and in the temple, that blood was then taken to the altar of incense, and the blood was put onto the horns. The inference is this. Spurgeon says it like, like this. The horns signify power. And the explanation of the symbol is that there is no power in intercessory prayer apart from the blood of expiation. It's important to know, in terms of praying with reverence and awe, that the only thing that makes our prayers acceptable to the Lord is the blood that is covering our hearts now, like the blood that is put on the horns of the altar. We may think we have had the most incredible prayer meeting, and it was energetic, and it was passionate, and man, like those prayers just were really fine sight, and we just charged, or we had the most incredible worship. Worship was like just another reality, but we have to remember, actually, the only thing that makes our offering acceptable to the Lord is the blood of Jesus. It's the only thing that opens up the new and living way, because Jesus is the new and the living way that's been opened up, that channel of communication. The blood is the only thing that opens it up. Nothing else. No formula. No great way of praying. No specific song of worship. So to pray with reverence and awe, knowing that someone had to die to open up this conversation. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Let me close with this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says, When we pray, we come, as it were, to this golden altar, and we look thereon. What is it that we see? Stains of blood. We look again and again see crimson spots, while all the four horns are red with blood. Did my Lord pour out his soul unto death for men? And shall I not pour out my soul in living earnest when I pray? Can you now bow your knee to plead with God and not feel your heart set upon the good of men when you see that your Lord has laid down his life that they may be saved? Where he poured out his blood, will you not pour out your tears? He has given his bleeding heart for men. Will you not give your pleading lips? Hey, amen. So that's five, four principles of prayer. We'll do well, maybe one or two next week. We're going to um, also talk about um, praying for the sick and how do we pray for healing. And then I put, you know, some homework. If you can just, for those of us, all of us, to activate us in this area, we can all grow in this. Um, the activation of the prayer principles here, I want you to choose one prayer need, one prayer item, something that you've been putting before the Lord, um, or something new that you um, want to be praying about this week. Number one, pray from the third heaven. Say, Lord, okay, I'm, 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 I'm going to just not go straight into it. I'm going to ask you to show me this from your perspective. He might give you a scripture. He might give you a vision, a dream, who knows, an impression, but trust him that he is going to open, help him to see this issue from his perspective so that you can pray in agreement with what his will is.
By the way, guys, sometimes it's not um, a mysterious thing. This is the revealed will of God. <laughs> so you can't go wrong praying in accordance with what this thing would tell, how it would tell you to pray. Um, secondly, use some priestly intercession handles. What, are, what, are, what am I requesting? What am I petitioning? What am I asking the Lord for? Okay. What is the need of this person in this situation? I can lift it up to God. Then thirdly, use some kingly intercession. What are some, if I feel like there's a, you know, something that, that is exactly what I'm praying for, that the scriptures say, is a promise, it's a principle, I can decree that, I can de declare it, I can, it's something I feel to prophesy, but something I feel to, we'll talk about binding, loosing, things like that, so insert that as well. Fourth, pray in agreement. Ask someone to join you in praying and tell them this is the way that I want to, this is the way that I feel we should pray. Come together in one accord, one language, one heart, one mind, and ask them to pray with you this week in that vein. And then fifth, consider how um, you can enter into your prayer times this week with reverence and awe, with godly caution, holy fear, knowing the price tag that's attached to that activity. Amen. Great. All right, and I'm on time. Nick, how, how would you like to do this? Mr. If there's any, can I just open it up?